For the past five weeks, we've been looking at the biblical character Joshua as he prepares to take the people into the promised land. Now, if you recall, they were promised this promised land literally hundreds of years earlier. They had spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt, and Moses had led them out through the Red Sea. And then Moses died, and then Joshua becomes the leader. And they find themselves on the east bank of the Jordan where they started after 40 years of wandering around in the desert. And if you recall, a couple weeks ago, the, uh, the Jordan River parted 19 miles upstream, and they were able to walk across. And as they walked across, they picked up stones of remembrance to remind themselves of God's faithfulness to them, and they built an altar in his honor. And I thought, you know, that's a great thing for all of us to do, to pick up stones of remembrance as God is faithful to us and as he walks with us each day. Mementos, journals that we keep to remind us God has been faithful so many times. But now they're across the Jordan River. They're in the promised land. You would think that would be the greatest thing in the world. We finally arrived. We're victorious. We've won. But there's a truth that might surprise you. The battles in the promised land are more difficult than living in the desert. Sometimes uh, the greatest battles take place in the promised land. You know, the job that, that you prayed for and you finally get it. The girl that you've courted and prayed for and she finally says yes. Well, the battle's not over just because you've arrived. There's still more to do. When faced with the strongholds in the promised land, the temptation is to go back to the desert. Uh, that happens to us a lot of times because there's some advantages of being in the desert. There's not a whole lot of expectations for you in the desert. The routine is very familiar in the desert. Uh, nothing much changes in the desert. And let's be honest, most of us don't like a lot of changes. It kind of messes up our routines. When I uh, first became a senior pastor or a lead pastor, I was 23 years old, and it was in Clearwater, Florida. And it was a, a tiny little church. I think they were running a little over 50 at the time. And I remember I, I met with the search committee, and they told me that the total budget of the church was $23,000. That included the church mortgage payment, the utilities, and my salary. So I, I asked, well, can you live on that? And all of them said yes, except for one guy who said, no, really, you can't. And then I knew I, he's the guy I could trust <laughs> as we went forward. But God blessed that church. We grew. We relocated to a new location. We got up to about 300 people. We had multiple staff. Uh, but I can tell you, as we went through some difficult times of high interest rates and building a new building and firing a contractor and all that kind of stuff, there were a lot of Monday mornings that I kind of wanted to go back to that sweet little church of 50 people where I could know everybody and see everybody. And it was just really safe and really familiar. We weren't doing as much for God, but it, it felt pretty secure. Sometimes it's easier in the desert. I mean, the Israelites, think about it. They had their meals prepared every day. Now, they didn't get Mexican or Italian, but they have a lot of variety. But Every day, they knew meals were going to be provided. It was safe in the desert. They had the, the God's light over them wherever they went. 
You know, it, it was just amazing. It was a little boring, but it was amazing. For 40 years, they had that safety. And now all of a sudden, they're asked to face some giants in this new place. So there are a lot of folks that prefer the safety and the peacefulness of the desert. They don't experience much of God's power and they don't experience a lot of God's victories in the desert, but there's not as much expected of them. There's not as much demanded of them. They just kind of show up and go home. If that's what you want and that's the life you want to live, this sermon's not going to be a very good sermon for you. But if you're interested in a God who is power packed and who calls us to step higher and walk closer, then perhaps this will be helpful to you. Uh, I, I love my pantry crew. Uh, they always, you know, they're, they're mostly retirees and they could be playing pickleball and quirkle, but instead a couple afternoons a, a week, they come here to minister physically and spiritually to our community. And they're excited about it. They're not in the desert. They're, they're in the promised land and they're facing strongholds and they're doing it with joy. Our story this morning comes from Joshua chapter six, verses one through 27. And as soon as the Israelites cross over into the promised land, the very first thing they see is this big fortress city called Jericho. It's one of the oldest cities in the world Archaeologists dated at 9,000 BC. And it's this monstrously big fortress. And you can't miss it. I mean, they're five miles into the promised land, and there it is. It, they control all the land around. Uh, they were moon worshipers. Uh, they were powerful. You couldn't go around them. And so they're facing the city. Now, a lot of times when we think about these fortress cities, we think of the cowboy shows. You know, and the forts with the wooden stockades, that's not what this was. Archaeologists tell us the walls of Jericho were somewhere between 30 to 60 feet high and somewhere between 12 to 45 feet thick. Think the wall of China, the Great Wall of China. And they had iron-covered gates. I mean, they were impenetrable to any known weapon of that day. It was just this monstrously powerful place. And I'm sure when the Israelites crossed over into the promised land, this is the first thing they see, this stronghold. They're thinking, couldn't we start with somebody besides the Green Bay Packers, the New England Patriots? How about the Cincinnati Bengals? You know, couldn't, couldn't we start at a different level? You know, why do we have to start with the best? And that's kind of where they are. The Israelites, remember, had few resources. They were slaves, so they didn't have weapons. And when they were in the desert, there was no metal, there was no iron to form uh, swords and shields. So they had very limited resources, very limited weapons to face this giant. And I'm sure they were tempted to say, you know, maybe the other side of the Jordan was a little better than we thought. There will always be strongholds in the promised land. Maybe you're facing a Jericho this morning in your life, a sin that you can't overcome, a person that you're having trouble forgiving, a situation that has completely overwhelmed you and, and you don't see any answers, 
a problem that you faced over and over and over again and you, you can't seem to defeat it. It's an awesome foe. And there seems to be no way for you to win. I want you to understand this morning the victory that the Israelites received when they took down Jericho, that same power, that same awesome power is available to each of us today. As Christ followers, we live out of a position of victory. We do that. God speaks to Joshua, and I, I love how the message translates Joshua 6.2. It says, look sharp now. I've already given Jericho to you along with its king and its crack troops. Jesus told us that if we believe and if we pray according to what we need, we'll receive it. God wants to answer our prayers. No matter how imprintable the stronghold you face, uh, no matter how difficult it is to, to defeat, it can fall through the power of prayer. And the formula is pretty simple. Victory flows out of obedience. Victory flows out of obedience. Joshua gives the people some rather strange instructions. He said, I want you to march around the city of Jericho each day. Don't say anything. Just follow the priests as they blow their horns. Did that every morning for six days. On the seventh day, we're going to go around the city seven times. You still say nothing until it comes time when there's a long blow on the horn. Then you shout with all your might. That's the battle plan. I don't know about you, but if I'm an Israelite, I'm thinking, that's the best we can do? <laughs> How does that work? There were basically five acceptable military plans to attack fortresses in those days, strongholds. You could build ladders and go over the walls. You could dig under the walls, but remember, they're 12 to 45 feet thick, so that's a, that's a long tunnel. You could batter down the ironclad doors. Or you could just kind of wait outside and starve them out and, and uh, cut off their water. Or you could negotiate some kind of a truce. But there's no acceptable military plan that says what you do is you march around the city for seven days. That didn't seem exactly a good plan. But this is a good place to remember God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are greater than our thoughts. I've been thinking about COVID-19 and, you know, for, for many years, I, along with many, many people, have been praying about the direction that we're drifting as a country. Uh, we seem to have lost our passion for faith and we trusted in a lot of other things. And we keep saying, how do we get people back to God? Well, God didn't cause COVID-19, but I believe God's going to use COVID-19 for his purpose, to bring his people back to a realization of how desperately we need him. If we could take the strongholds in our lives by our own strength, we wouldn't need God. The key to the Christian life is obedience. Now, there's other words for obedience, like faithfulness or commitment. I'm not talking about 
the kind of commitment that says, well, I'll try it once or twice and see how it works. I'm talking about the kind of commitment that says, whether I live or die, I'm going to be faithful to God's word and God's promises in my life. So God says to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its mighty warriors. Your entire army is to march around the city once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing their horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the horns, have all the people shout with all their might. Then the walls of the city will collapse and the people can charge straight into the city. Sounds a little strange, doesn't it? How could that possibly work? There are those who have speculated, well, there was an earthquake on the seventh day. And then some people have said, well, maybe all the walking kind of messed up the foundation of the city, but they're 12 feet thick to 45 feet thick. Or, or maybe it's like those uh, beer commercials with the glass, you know, and the, and the opera singer hits the high note and it shatters and, you know, the horn and all the shouting did that. The truth is the Bible feels no need to explain how it happened. And probably the writers had no idea how it happened. And God feels no great compulsion to explain to us how it happens. All he asks us to do is to be obedient to what he asks us to do. So how does this ancient story about Jericho falling apply to us today? How does that affect us in any way? Well, God's desire from us has not changed. He asks us to be obedient You know, we're supposed to read our Bible, pray, worship together, give, do acts of kindness for each other. Those are the kinds of things that help us walk around the wall of our stronghold to break them down. This is how we're obedient. Now, notice the the repetition. They march around day after day after day. Why don't they just march a whole bunch of times the first day? and get it over with. Repetition in life, doing the right thing over and over and over again, helps the strongholds in our lives to collapse. In finances, saving every week, month after month, year after year prepares you for retirement. In your marriage, doing acts of kindness to your spouse, Thinking of her or him before yourself over a long period of time is a formula for a great marriage. Do not fix finances or marriages or addictions in a week. It's a faithful act of doing the right thing over and over and over again that builds victory in our lives and causes the strongholds to fall. A couple of generations ago, Gary Player was a, a great golfer, and he was known for his amazing swing. And he was doing a, a clinic, and he was demonstrating the swing, and one of the guys goes, well, that's really easy for you, Mr. Player, because you have this perfect swing. I'm erratic. I, I've got this horrible swing. And Gary Player looked at him and said, you think I just got this? It's a result 
of swinging a golf club thousands of times until my hands bled. I still do that today. It didn't just happen. Strongholds don't just happen. Well, they don't come down just because we want them to come down. There's no shortcuts physically to becoming healthy. There's no shortcuts spiritually to becoming the person God wants us to be. Connie Colliver was one of those dream guys in your congregation. He was in my church in Lexington. One of those guys that whatever you wanted him to do, he would do. He was a pastor's best friend. I mean, he just had, he did it with cheer and joy. And, uh, you know, he didn't say, well, why are we doing that? Or, you know, he, he just, he just wanted to help. Pastor, whatever you need, I'll help you. And one day he was in my office and he goes, I've never told you my story, have I? And I said, no, I'd love to hear it, Connie. And, and he shared, he goes, I didn't come to Christ till my late 40s. I was shocked. I mean, this guy was early 70s then, but just this dynamic, spiritually mature man. He said, for years, my wife, Anna Jean, brought the kids to church every Sunday. I stayed home. But over the years, as I watched the consistency in her life and the difference faith made in her life, it made me want to explore faith myself. And it was her faithfulness that led me to my relationship with Jesus. There's another gal in that church. Her name is Marty. And Marty is from the Czech Republic. And she came from an atheist family. And when she came to Christ, they wanted nothing to do with her faith. And they made it very clear to her. And, and Marty was so concerned. She would ask me to pray for her family constantly. And, and she, instead of preaching at them, she just kept being a different person, the different person that Christ had made her. She translated some of my sermons into German, and she sent them to her family, and she was getting ready to go home to see them. And, and we were all praying that maybe this would be the time. But it didn't happen. But she came home joyous because just as she was getting ready to get on the plane, her brother said to her, Marty, would you pray for me? It was the first crack in the stronghold. It was the first crack in the fortress. Strongholds don't fall overnight. They require repeated faithfulness, sometimes over many months, many years, many decades, sometimes over a lifetime. Your job is simply to obey God's instructions, the ones we find in his word. Remember, one act of kindness or one act of doing the right thing may not change your life. But when it's done over and over and over again, the walls will come down. A little less talk and a lot more action. I love this verse, <laughs> Joshua 6.10. Do not shout, do not talk. It sounds like a kindergarten teacher, doesn't it? I don't want you talking, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Victory in the Christian life is more connected to what we do than what we say. That's important to know. I remember I was in the doctor's office one time and, and he was telling me I need to lose a few pounds. And he's like 80 pounds overweight. I'm thinking, who are you to talk to me? You know? It's our actions 
that matter, not our speeches. My mother, day after day, lived out the Christian life in front of my father, who never went to church. And I remember that mom always praised the church. She never, I never heard her say one thing bad about anybody in the church or anything at the church. And I kind of knew that things weren't perfect at our church. When I was about 13 years old, I went to my first church business meeting. And after the business meeting was over, there was about 15 people that had the pastor cornered over in the corner and the veins on their necks were popping out. And I'm thinking, that's probably not a nice conversation. You know, I was smart enough to know that. And later I found out that we had a couple of splits in the church and, and, and never knew it in our home. My mom never shared that. And so when, when my dad died, I was talking to mom. I said, why did you never talk about that? She goes, I wanted your dad to come to Christ. Why would, why would I tell every bad thing I know? She goes, I, I have some friends that their husbands don't come to church. and They talk about the church all the time in a bad way. I'm thinking, why would he come? You know, and I remember my dad meeting with me and saying, you know, I, I don't deserve your mom. She was a saint. My dad came to Christ when he was 72 years old. And we're forever grateful. And it was because my mom did the right thing over and over and over again. It's important that we realize that we encourage each other by our actions, not just our speeches. If you've got something to say to someone, say it to them. Don't talk to your friend about your wife. Talk to your wife, the one who can actually solve the problem. It's not the speeches. It's the small acts of kindness that make our faith alive and believable. Settle for nothing less than total devotion to God's plan for your victory. God tells the Israelites to destroy everything except for Rahab and her family that were uh, helpful in them entering the city. God knew, and it was, it's, it's a strange time, but God knew that they weren't ready to, to handle the, the moon gods and all those other things. And so it was important that, that they stayed laser focused on following Yahweh. And that's still true. You know, when, when you're in uh, rehab and you're maybe in Alcoholics Anonymous, you don't visit bars you, you, when you come out of there. You, you got to stay focused on your health and your sobriety. But there comes a point where you can be a witness to others. And that's true for us, too, as Christians. When we first become Christians, we want to surround ourselves with other Christians that help us. But there comes a point as we mature that God sends us out to bless others and to share his love and his grace. You know, Jesus was accused of uh, spending way too much time with drunkards and sinners, but he wanted them to know that they were included too in God's plan. We must be all in. That's what basically is happening at Jericho. He says, you gotta be totally in to following Yahweh. It takes everything you have. You can't say, well, I'm kind of trying to decide if I want. It's all or nothing. It's a total commitment that he asked from us. I heard this story, read this story a number of years ago, and of all places, a medical journey, journal, because it's not the kind of article you would expect in a medical journal. It's a story about a, a young woman and her mother. Her mother was extremely ill. She was in the hospital. Today, we would call it hospice care. And she was not given long to live. Everything pointed to her death coming pretty soon. And as they're having that conversation, 
the daughter wants to help her mom. She wants to do something great for her mom because her mom has been so wonderful to her. She was raised in the Great Depression, so she never did anything extravagant. She never spent a lot of money. She was always very conservative. And the daughter thought, you know, it's, it's the dead of winter. It's cold. It's January. She bought her these beautiful pajamas and robe, and she took it to her mom for her birthday. And her mom opened it, closed the box, and said, I don't want these. And the daughter was a little offended, and she felt bad, and she thought, well, mom, it's you know, it's, it's your birthday and I want to do this. She goes, no, I don't want these. I want this. She pointed the catalog to this designer spring purse that was beautiful, expensive. And the daughter was shocked. And she said, mom, it's January. It's a long time till spring. And her mother smiled. And suddenly she realized what her mom was saying. She was saying, do you believe in your prayers for my healing enough to buy me an expensive spring purse in the dead of winter. That night, that girl went out and bought the most expensive designer purse she could find. And she brought it to her mom and she gave it to her and she accepted the gift graciously. And then she writes, that was many years ago. That spring purse wore out. I just bought my mom a new one for her 83rd birthday. John's gospel said, the light shines in the darkness, the true light that gives light to every man, woman, and child. But the world didn't recognize him. Then Matthew tells us that we're to let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. As I thought about that mother and daughter and the spring purse, it occurred to me how easy it is to have faith when all the pieces fall together, when the waters are calm, when the bank account looks good, when the kids are behaving, when our health report came back good, when midterms came back 3.8. But how is your faith when the stronghold before us is huge and we don't seem to have the resources to face it? or to claim victory? How are we when we're struggling to believe that God cares or anybody else cares about us? It's in those moments that we are called to be obedient, to faithfully do the next right thing. And then there will be a day, there will be a day to shout and the walls will come down. Some of you remember the Berlin Wall in Germany, divided east to west Germany. It was, it was a symbol of the awesome power of the Soviet Union. For years, people living on the west side could not visit their family on the east side for decades. And most people think of it in terms of when former President Reagan said, tear down that wall. But that wall started down way before President Reagan. It started in a little place in Romania where Christians gathered and prayed and other places in the Soviet Union where churches gathered and prayed and asked God to deliver them so once again they could worship in freedom. And it was an amazing thing that God has the power to take down any wall that you and I encounter 
But this is what you must do. You must confess to God that what you're doing is not working. You must develop a daily routine of obedience. And you must start doing more and stop talking so much. Stop griping. Start working. Give God everything you have. Then when that moment is right, and you'll know when it's right, you can shout because the Lord has given you the stronghold in your life. Believe me, that day will come when the walls will come down and the power of God will be evident in your life. Now, I know that you probably as Christians already believe that. But let me ask you this morning, do you believe it enough to buy an expensive spring purse in the middle of winter? Let's pray. Father, today we come to you. All of us have some strongholds, some things that are so big and so huge that we don't even know how to begin to tackle them. They're overwhelming. And yet, Lord, you've promised that you will deliver us. You've promised that if we are obedient over and over and over again, those walls will come down. The wall might be a, a child that's away from Christ or a grandchild that's away from Christ. It, it might be a job that's been lost. It might be a health problem that looms over us. Whatever that stronghold is, Lord, we pray today that we'll be faithfully obedient and we pray for you to be faithful in crumbling the wall and opening the door that we might experience your grace and your peace and your love. We claim victory today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we do that, I want you to get a picture in your mind. The disciples are huddled in the upper room. They've gone through following Jesus and watching him be arrested. They've watched him die. And then there's a resurrection that was so amazing. And then he tells them, I'm gonna leave you. <laughs> And they're going, now what? He goes, I want you to wait. Wait for what? Wait for my Holy Spirit to come, to empower you, to give you strength, to encounter whatever wall, whatever stronghold you might face. So this morning, as you partake of communion, I want you to think about the stronghold in your life that you need God to crumble that wall and believe that he loves you enough to do it. It says that when he met with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you partake of it, do it in remembrance of me. And this is my blood, which is shed for you. As often as you partake of it, do it in remembrance of me. I would invite you now in faith, to invite God's presence into your life as we share together. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your life. Thank you for the resurrection. And thank you for the awesome power to tear down the walls, the strongholds that we face. In Christ's name, amen. Let's partake together.
respond to his goodness.
promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You never fail Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You never failed me yet You never failed me yet You'll never fail me, Lord Every trial and tribulation, we give it to you, Lord. We give you our lives, Jesus. You never fail us, Jesus. Thank you, you're always there. Oh, ooh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We. We see our Jericho, our personal Jericho, and we give it to you. Lord, I just know we've tried so hard to conquer those walls ourselves, to conquer that fortress on our own. And Lord, forgive us. So we give our stronghold to you or our strongholds to you into your capable hands. You are able, Lord far greater than we could ever think or imagine. You can do things in our lives. We wanna be Christ followers with action, not just with words, Lord. So we surrender to you so that we can be actively following you, actively submitting to you because you've won already. You have the victory already. You have our victory already. Any success we have, any, any overcoming only comes through Jesus Christ. So thank you for that reminder this morning, Lord. We are yours. And we pray all this in Christ's strong name. Amen. God bless you, church. Wait for Wednesday's announcement in the E! News. We can't wait to see you. It's coming soon. We love you all.